Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Join me in prayer. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known, and in the faithfulness of our lives, May your word be shown. Amen. A reading from Psalms. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall laud your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. The might of your awesome deeds shall be proclaimed and I will declare your greatness. They shall celebrate the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his compassion is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your faithful shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to all people your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'll read verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure, because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Do you know what a Monet looks like up close? A loved one once asked me. I didn't. On the few occasions I had actually seen one of his paintings, those velvet ropes and my own squeamishness about museum rules had prevented my taking a point-blank look at the canvas. This question came in the middle of a difficult conversation during an even harder life transition. It was one of many discussions in which I had craned forward in my seat, hoping and praying that someone wiser than I or with more varied life experiences, would lay out the next right step for me, would provide an antidote to my pain, 
or would grant me the serenity to accept the things I could not change, the courage to change the things I could, and the wisdom to know the difference, as Reinhold Niebuhr's often-cited prayer says. But those are the things that only God and time can do. And so when this question arose in response to my vulnerable outpouring about a present challenge, I was stunned at the apparent non sequitur. Do you know what a Monet looks like up close, she repeated. And then she leaned in and said, it looks like a mess, that's what. <laughs> she explained that even a beautiful work of art, when we're too close to it, when we have only the narrowest view of it, may look haphazard and sloppy. It may seem like the painting barely even belongs on a refrigerator door, let alone a gallery wall. And it's unclear how all the splotches could ever possibly come together to make discernible shapes. It's hard to distinguish sky from water, up from down. Her question wasn't just about art, but it was also about life. And at that particular moment, all I could see was the mess. I needed to pan out from what was immediately before me and take in the scene from a wider angle to recognize that the difficult moment I was facing was temporary and to realize that I couldn't even see the whole picture because the edges of the canvas span far beyond my own life. In a word, I needed perspective. In one of our summer reads, the book of joy, lasting happiness in a changing world, the Dalai Lama, Desmond Tutu, and author Douglas Abrams discuss how to cultivate hope and joy in the midst of suffering. So without minimizing all the causes of suffering that are catastrophic and beyond our control, they write, so much of our unhappiness originates within our own mind and heart in how we react to the events in our life. They go on to suggest that joy is a byproduct of eight qualities of mind and heart, and that the key to all these qualities is perspective, defined simply as a capacity to see situations more positively. Describing how every life circumstance has multiple angles and we can reframe our view to gain a wider perspective, the Dalai Lama advocates taking a step back internally to consider the larger scope in an effort to see beyond ourselves. Sometimes our afflictions, though, as the Apostle Paul calls them in our passage from 2 Corinthians today, impede us in seeing beyond our immediate present to all the dimensions of God's work in the world and even in whatever situation we're facing, either on an individual level or on a communal one. Perhaps that's simply human nature, as the case seems to have been no different for the church in Corinth, whom Paul encouraged to weigh a temporary crisis against the eternal promises of God. While the jury of biblical scholars is still out about whether this particular community of faith ever became a masterpiece in its own right, an exemplar of gospel ethics, at the time of Paul's letter, let's just say that it looked more decidedly like a Monet, up really close. We don't have access to all the dimensions of the problems that they faced, after all, as New Testament professor Dr. Amy Jill Levine has cautioned, reading the epistles is like opening someone else's mail. What is clear is that the community was embroiled in conflict, both with one another 
and with its founder, Paul. Rival factions had sprouted up from within, and outside evangelists were interloping. The church seemed to have forgotten the love ethic that Paul commended in 1 Corinthians 13. And instead of love that was patient and kind, disrespectful disagreement colored their interactions. In short, that church in Corinth was a mess. And it's precisely in the midst of such turmoil that Paul sent this lofty meditation. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. First, to appreciate these words, it helps to remember they're not coming from Pollyanna, but from Paul. And Paul was no stranger to suffering. In this letter alone, he references a severe affliction in Asia, beatings, shipwrecks, and near-death experiences. In fact, just before today's passage, he describes Jesus' followers as hard-pressed on all sides, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. So I don't believe he's trying to minimize the present problem. But he is encouraging the church to reframe their view of it and see it as a messy moment in God's redemptive project. Even so, did anyone else hear Paul's words and think, thanks, but how are we supposed to look at what cannot be seen? Maybe it starts with being able to envision or to visualize what we don't and can't fully see. When all we can see is what's temporary, and yet a dose of perspective is the only thing that holds hope for encouragement, we can go to scripture. Like our psalm this morning, where David's doubts and laments give way to praise for God's unsearchable greatness, wondrous works, majestic splendor, abundant goodness, steadfast love. The psalmist reminds us that God's kingdom doesn't start or end with us. It's an everlasting kingdom. And God's dominion endures throughout all generations. God's promises in scripture keep us grounded in who and whose we are, even during unsettling times. As the choir's anthem beautifully reminded us with the words of Romans 8, a constant truth of our very being is that in every circumstance, in this life and beyond, we are unconditionally beloved by God. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So our well-being rests in our identity as God's people and in God's power, even in our weakest moments. But when I need perspective... I'll confess to you that sometimes scripture alone doesn't quite get me there. Netflix and friends can help too. <laughs> Let me explain. Not to discount the wonders of a general Netflix binge during a crisis, but there's one show in particular that has a way of helping set my problems to scale. It's the first episode of a documentary about the universe, the cosmos, with Neil deGrasse Tyson. 
It starts zoomed in on our vantage point from Earth and then pans out to our solar system and then our galaxy and then beyond our galaxy to other galaxies. And then as if that weren't vast enough, Tyson explains that the universe is still continually expanding. So if our creator isn't finished with the whole universe, maybe there's still some hope that God can mysteriously create beauty in whatever difficulties we face on a micro level. And for Paul, it's precisely through our frailty that God shapes those of us who are in Christ into new creations. Paul says of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ, we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. Furthermore, Paul reminds us that our well-being is bound up with the renewal of all creation. Maybe this good news resonates most when we receive it from people who help us put hard times in perspective. As I've shared with those in the 8 a.m. service before, one of my mentors, the Reverend Dr. Jim Hudnot Boimler, used to say this. The gospel came from God and Jesus Christ, and we carry it around in earthen vessels to one another. Only arms of flesh can hug. Only hands can provide a human touch. Only a human voice can say words of real forgiveness or lovingly challenge another to accountability. So, too, only another person can listen and reflect, helping us to envision our situation from multiple angles and to take the long view so we can appreciate how a given moment fits into the flow of our whole lives. Our conversation partners remind us, as Bishop Tutu says in our summer book, We are made for perfection, but we are not yet perfect. We are masterpieces in the making. Abram writes in the book of Joy, quote, A healthy perspective really is the foundation of joy and happiness, because the way we see the world is the way we experience the world. Changing the way we see the world in turn changes the way we feel and the way we act, which changes the world itself. End quote. While only God and time can alleviate suffering and completely solve the injustices we see all around us, we can shift our perspective and look for opportunities to take part in God's mission to repair the world, beginning by being present to the person sitting next to us and then rippling outward into the broader community. The Spirit brings about previews of God's promised ultimate peace through our actions, as imperfect and incomplete as they are. Trusting in God enables us to live with courage and humility, realizing that our vantage point is limited. We can draw from past resources while working for the greater good now in celebration of the future God's bringing about for all creation. Within and far beyond, this church and even the church universal. In months to come, As we seek to discern this congregation's priorities and live into our mission and vision together, growth opportunities may show up wrapped in challenges and even in conflicts. Perspective will be a key to helping us navigate this season of our church's life with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love, as the last question we ask all ordained church officers says. When we have a myopic view, Fear and anger often color our reactions to challenging situations 
and prevent us from recognizing other perspectives and potential solutions. On the other hand, a wider angle gives us the strength to confront problems with creativity and compassion, both of which seem from the headlines to be in short supply in our world today. So as we face problems in our individual lives, in the life of this community of faith, and in our society, I pray that we'll listen generously and help each other reframe these challenges into opportunities to be a people of hope who do not lose heart. May we encourage each other to catch the vision of God's masterpiece in the making and to know that it's just that, still in the making. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have shown us through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, what it means to love and what it means to follow your example. As we offer these gifts, so we offer our lives in your service. Bless what we give, that our offerings may bring honor and glory to you and testify to the gratitude we have for the incomparable gifts we receive from your hand. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And let us unite our hearts and minds in prayer. We give you thanks, living God, for your presence with us always, your providing for all of our needs, and your blessing us in countless ways. We are humbled by the beauty that surrounds us and grateful for the friends and family members, the opportunities and the reminders of grace that make our lives so full. Most of all, we thank you for the hope we have in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and for your sustaining love. We give you particular thanks this day, O Lord, for your faithful servant, Debbie McVeigh, for the gifts you gave her to teach your word and model the gospel for many hundreds of children and their families at First Pres for almost 27 years, for the love she poured into lesson plans and crafts into Bible school and Christmas pageants, into milestones to mark the growth and development of young disciples, we give you thanks. Bless her in her retirement with good health and good memories, with the satisfaction of knowing what a difference she has made, and with a sure and continuing confidence of your love. Holy God, be with all those in our community and around the world who are in particular need especially those struggling with illness or injury or grief, those separated from loved ones, those threatened by war or violence of any kind. As we witness and partake of the bounty of your creation, keep us mindful of those who go to bed hungry. As we celebrate great graduations and vacations, help us be sensitive to those who have little. Help us respect everyone we encounter and see one another as you see us all, as precious in your sight. Eternal God, draw close to those who are in transition. We think of Mary Kay and Jerry Gray as they move to the western part of the state. Be with them in this move. Bless those who serve in government with insight 
into the effects of their decisions. Help us all seek the good of all. We make all these prayers in the name and for the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.